Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals, or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendig people in the Barren region of South Australia. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest this week is Lena George. Lena's an author from Baltimore in the USA and a mum of one son. Lena has been creative her whole life. Growing up in Pennsylvania, she played guitar, violin and flute As a youngster, she would dictate books and stories for her mum to write, and Lena would illustrate them. When she was 14, she started a zine and published that for a while. When in college, while studying visual arts, Lena wrote a live journal blog. She moved to Baltimore in 2008. Lena was diagnosed with ADHD as a teenager. She began a blog in 2014, and from this released her fiction work in 2019 under her own name, Jacqueline Paul. Lena George is her pen name for her non-fiction work. Her book is called Order from Chaos, The Everyday Grind of Staying Organised with Adult ADHD. Her writing has since appeared in ADD Resources, ADHD Rollercoaster with Gina Perra and Houston Family Magazine. Lena's debut non-fiction novel, She's Not Home, will be released in April this year. It explores the relationship between a mother and her daughter, shared grief and coming of age. Lena started writing the book in 2009, before she had her son, and she put it away for a long time. When Lena came back to it, she wrote in significantly more of the mother's perspective after becoming a mother herself. The book is available for pre-order now. Links are in the show notes. This episode contains discussion around ADHD and road accident fatalities. I hope you enjoy today's chat. Thanks again for tuning in. Hi, Lena. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's such a pleasure to welcome you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. This is, I'm excited. Well, it's my pleasure. So whereabouts are you based in America? So I'm in Baltimore. Uh, That's, I mean, I've learned after moving here, that's the mid-Atlantic region. So just, I'm originally from Pennsylvania and associate more with the Northeast that way, but um, yeah, kind of in the middle of the, right smack in the middle of the East Coast. Yeah, right. What state is that in? Maryland. Mm -hmm. Ah, 
You're the third person I've had on from Maryland. There is something, Maryland, sorry, i got to say it right. There's something going on with that part of the world at the moment. It's pretty cool. That is, that's very funny because it's not a big state. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Because, yeah, I've, I'm getting better with my um, geography. I know which side of the, like the east or west of the, the big cities are on, but I'm getting better with my little other places. <laughs> Oh, even people who live here are not so good at outside of their region. I it it's very funny because when I meet people who are from the western United States, I I just I obviously know where the states are, but the size of them is they scale up as you as you go out there yeah, and right. just sort of what's close to what and and I've been laughed at many times. <laughs> oh, oh, it's such a big country. I mean, it's, yeah, you couldn't be blamed for not knowing every inch of it, could you? <laughs> yeah, it's impractical on many levels. Yeah. Oh, so what, what brought you to that part of the world? You said you're from Pennsylvania originally. I am. So uh, we came down here. Uh, so Pennsylvania and Maryland share a border, and mm-hmm. I, I live about two and a half, three hours away from most of my extended family. So we're not super far away. My husband got a job down here in 2007 and I was a little bit adrift. So I just came along and now now (laughs) here we are uh, quite some time later. Yeah. Oh, very good. So you're a writer and mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to ask you this now. You have a pen name of Lena George. How come you do that? So I just started that pen name for my fiction work um, mm-hmm. because I am already a published nonfiction author and I am somewhat widely known for my niche nonfiction work. And mm-hmm. even though I always tell people do do not order your books on Amazon, go to your local bookstore. Um, <laughs> the reality of it is as a writer, you do have to think about the Amazon algorithm. And I created a pen name for my fiction so I could keep things kind of cleanly delineated that mm-hmm. I have two, uh, you know, I'll have two catalogs of work, um, nonfiction under my given name and fiction under my pen name. And there will be audience crossover, but I didn't want to hem myself in to kind of needing to have the same audience for for both. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went back and forth on it a lot, whether I should do the pen name. And eventually I just decided to to do that and keep things simple. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a little weird. I it's my first book under that name is coming out in the spring and I'm just starting to try to figure out oh okay so when I'm re- interacting with people in person <laughs> do I, like, how do I introduce myself it's very especially yeah. locally here in Baltimore because it is a small town and I know a lot of people at this point mm-hmm. and they recognize me by my given name so it gets a little bit more muddled around here than out in the wide world where no yeah. one 
yeah. Oh dear. Oh, it, yeah. It's it's makes sense, doesn't it, to do it like that, um, and just iron out the little details of how you deal with <laughs> certain people face to face. Or yeah. Oh yeah. Have you been writing your whole life? Were you doing that as a kid? You really creative? I think writing is the thing I've done the longest. Mm-hmm. I have had many creative pursuits in my life, um, but even before I was a great like physically at writing, I before I went to elementary school, even I remember sitting and I would dictate book quote unquote books um, <laughs> and stories to my mom, and she would. Mm-hmm write them into these construction paper books and then I would illustrate them. Oh, um yeah, so I went to kindergarten having, you know, written some weird one-page story about a toy ghost I had and <laughs> it escalated from from there and I went through phases. I I really thought my uh pursuit in life would be music and then it wasn't and then I went to school for visual art and that wasn't it either. And then I came back to writing. So mm. so you got back into your writing. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the books that you've written? So I have one uh, published book that uh, has been out for a few years and it's called Order from Chaos, um, The Everyday Grind of Staying Organized with Adult ADHD. So I started mm-hmm. writing a blog years ago, twenty in 2014. Um, and I sort of spun what I had, the work I had done there into the book. And now most, I feel like a lot of people encounter me now via the book. The book is more popular than the blog ever was. Um, <laughs> and so, oh, I didn't know you also had a blog. Yeah, that's kind of where it started. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, that's been ironically my my most fo- focused nonfiction work. I've done when I was in ninth grade. So yeah, when I was 14, I started a, a zine, um, <laughs> which is maybe dating dating myself a little bit. Um, but I published that for a while and then went to college and then we had live journal and I you know, wrote a live journal blog. So I did a lot of like personal experience writing um, <laughs> for myself and then pretending it was for other people too. But um, <laughs> The, and then I, I tried a few like more adult blogs um, when I was out of college. And this is the one that stuck and really re- like it. My work started resonating with people and and that made it easier to stick to because I felt some, you know, accountability there to a community that I had built. And so that's that's where my nonfiction writing mostly has been uh, for the past. I guess it's almost nine years now. Yeah, right. So um, obviously based on your own experiences of of having mm-hmm. ADHD. So when were mm-hmm. you diagnosed with your ADHD? Um, well, so I, I guess I figured it out on my own when I was in high school. Um, yeah. I, when I was 17, I asked a therapist to like 
do she did some sort of evaluation on the computer and then she was like all right so what do you want to do with this and here if you are a minor to get a diagnosis and evaluation it you have to involve your teachers and your parents and they have to fill out these questionnaires and i had kind of hidden all of that away right. and so at some point if you are good enough at hiding your struggles or if you are in an environment where there's a certain ethos around like what kind of struggles are okay or or expected or like everyone deals with that or you just have to do this try harder I just didn't want to involve anybody because I was terrified of them just saying, there's nothing actually wrong with you. You just can't deal with your life. Like, but that's you. That's not something that we need to fill out a questionnaire about. And um, it wasn't until I was in my mid twenties that I kind of hit a rock bottom point and um, pursued it again. Mm -hmm. Um so it was, I, I was like with a classic late diagnosis, um, you know, looking back at my elementary school paperwork, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like one of the professionals in the room should have probably noticed this, but mm. um, I was the gifted student and I think it just slips by. If you're the gifted student, you then if you have behavioral or social problems or if schoolwork is extra super hard, it can really mask the true struggle. And it's just like, mm -hmm. well, you need to learn how to control your behavior or, you know, apply yourself in your schoolwork. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it, that was kind of a long journey um, that I guess it started in high school that I like asked for something, but then it wasn't until I was like well into home ownership and adulthood that it came to a head. Yeah. Right. It's almost like, like I've had, um, I work in the early childhood education sector. So I've, I've come across a lot of children um, with ADHD and my own son's had some issues as well. So I can relate to what you're saying um, from an educator's point of view. It's almost like they said that um, that you weren't a problem for them, right? Your behaviour was, you know, everything was, they didn't have to do anything. You know, if it had been a child that was having issues with behaviour or couldn't get their work done, then they would have had to do something. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's a horrible thing to say. And I hope they didn't think like that. But yeah. Yeah. But it's like if you don't have to try in school, mm -hmm. then it masks a lot because I wasn't failing school because I could coast and I certainly didn't challenge myself as much as I could have. Um, but because I was very selective about where I was comfortable being challenged, my academics were always okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then the behavior stuff was just like, well, we need to address this as a behavior issue. But even, I mean, that's 30 years ago. And even now I know educators who say, oh yeah, we can't really do anything intervention wise if the academics aren't being affected. Mm -hmm. 
which I think yeah. is terrible because is, I'm like, it? oh, yeah. I wish that things would have gotten better. Be yeah. Because, I mean, because my son is the same way that he's not he's not failing grades wise, but in terms of his own like like mental health and and happiness, mm. um, if I hadn't known what to look for, yep. then his teachers might have been in a position where like the academics aren't being affected. So we really can't push this with the parents. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, yeah, it makes me sad because I'm yeah. like, oh, a bunch of kids are still being like left behind and thinking that they are just a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. That's really is... horrible to hear, isn't it? Because mm, there's yeah. so many other things in life that, are important other than just having good schoolwork results. You know, like you said, the social and yeah. emotional and yeah. There's just more being, beyond yeah. school and work that yeah. makes us happy. And um yeah, with ADHD, it's that a lot of the focus is on well, how are you doing at work? How are you doing at school by the numbers? And mm. you know, if that doesn't look terrible, then what are you complaining about? And well, okay. But um yeah it's, it it does make me sad that like things yeah. haven't come a little further than that since i was you know my son's age for sure mm. So tell me about this new book you've got coming out in your fiction section. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the Lena George. <laughs> oh, how did you come up with that name, by the way? If you don't oh, mind me asking. Sorry, if you don't want to give oh, away your Oh, it's hard. I'm, I have known people who have renamed themselves in adulthood, and I just didn't appreciate how hard it is to come up with a new name for oneself. Um, so but my paternal great grandfather, I guess, um, he wrote a novel that was never published. He died in 1941. So I like absolutely never crossed paths with him. Yeah. Um, and also it was not spoken about that he wrote fiction. Yeah. Um, I think my great grandmother i'm we're very german in that way that she just did not speak about him really i think it is it was a painful topic and yeah. she had really had to like get up by her bootstraps and be a single parent at a time when that was not the norm and yeah she did not like sit around and share reminiscing about him mm -hmm. uh, but after my grandmother died in 2020 uh, I was given this box that had this novel manuscript in it. And I was like, oh, that's funny. He played the violin. And now I learned that he's a novelist. Um, this is the person I apparently have the most in common with. And I never knew. Yeah. Um, but his first name was George. So um, that's where the the last name is a, is a nod to him. And then I... Eventually, I was trying to do two family names, and it just wasn't working. So I just found I, I was just like, okay, well, what's like a 
what's a German first name with a nice ring to it? And I came up with Lena. And uh, so that's, yeah, Lena George. But um, <laughs> it's uh, kind of an a, uh, in honor of the family that I, writers on both sides who like did not share their work yeah, at all. That's interesting, isn't it? Do you think it's like sort of of the time that they were just too busy working and having, you know, their life that you couldn't indulge in these other sort of things? I don't know. I don't, maybe, because my great-grandfather, George, he worked in finance um, and I I get the idea that that kept him rather busy. Mm-hmm. So he didn't probably feel like he had a lot of time to sit around and dilly dally with this, but he also, he did share his work with other people for feedback. There's like someone he wrote to who gave him, you know, some very critical feedback in a letter, which is really funny to read. But um, then my grandmother on my mom's side uh, apparently wrote stories as well and she would submit them. But then when she got rejection letters, she would just get rid of the stories. Oh, and that's a shame. I was like, oh, no. But do you know how many rejections some very, very famous authors got before mm-hmm. they made it? Don't throw it away. Yeah. But yeah, apparently she didn't keep her stories. And it was you know, at the time typewriter. So, mm-hmm. you know, you threw it out. It was just gone. It's gone. Yeah. Um. Gosh. Which, you know, my mom is like, oh, I can't believe she did that because she would love to be able to read them. But mm. yeah. There you go. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's whole... like the weird, the weird family history hour. Oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. But my grandmother, I mean, she wrote stories, but she also was, um, you know, she had four children. So mm. it's another, another person who probably did not have oodles of free time to write stories and maybe that's why I don't know I guess we'll never know why she got rid of them but yeah, as a, yeah. you know is it was it a perfectionistic thing or just a well you know well I guess it's a waste of time mm. and yeah there you go so your book is called She's Not Home. Can you, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously don't give us any spoilers because we want everyone to read it. <laughs> yeah, what's, no spoilers. The, what's the gist? <laughs> um, so the the gist is the, so it's told from two perspectives, um, a, a mother and a daughter. And the daughter is 17 and it's, the book starts just before her senior homecoming dance in the fall at her high school and 10 years prior to this, her older sister, her only sibling, had died in a car accident on the night of homecoming. So in the intervening years, her mother sort of transformed from, you know, the kind of the fun parent into this. She just did not address her grief around this and instead just became very controlling of the surviving child because she was terrified of experiencing a loss like this again. Mm. And so the fun, carefree lifestyle didn't do it. Okay. You know, I need to become a different parent to this child so that I like, there will never be an opportunity for her to be in a situation where something like this would occur. Um, and 
part of that is her envisioning of how this accident happened. And the daughter is, you know, obviously feeling a bit suffocated by this at this point. And everything kind of comes to a head for them around this homecoming night. Mm-hmm. And the daughter discovers how things actually transpired for her sister. And she ends up running away from home. And the you know, so the, the story is her running away and having to deal with this, even though it's you can understand in the moment the impulse uh, to run away, it's still like the people left behind, she being a kid and rather impulsive, did not fully comprehend how many people would be deeply affected by this and mm-hmm. that it actually is kind of a terrible thing to do, even if it's understandable. So it's um, we see her kind of coping with the fallout from her choices and having to decide like, well, then I thought that a fresh start would be so clean. It's not, but how do I rebuild my life? And become a whole person again? And does that in any way include like reestablishing contact with my family? Like, can I do that? Do I have the courage to do that? And then meanwhile, the mom is, is left to, to reckon with like, not only losing another child, but Mm. losing another child in a way that feels like very much on her. Um, Yeah. Like, after all these years of trying so hard to insulate herself from this trauma recurring is like that those efforts have then like in a way brought it about yeah. um, the, the thing that she most feared and um, you know, how, how can she actually like heal from that and figure out like who she is in the world Um yeah, it's almost Given like that, yeah. the mother sort of had a self-fulfilling prophecy that she, she sort of created yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, right. So is that um, just complete fiction or have you sort of, it, is there own, your own influences in there since you became a mother? It definitely, I don't, I don't know if I could have written, I don't know if I, so this story has been around quite a while. I wrote the first draft of it in 2009 um, before I had a child. Yeah, right. And I, you know, I shelved it for a long time. And when I came back to it, I actually wrote in significantly more of the mother's perspective. And the issue had always been that she was a little bit two-dimensional, um, and we didn't get to like meet her early enough in the story, like from her in in her own words. And once I wrote that, I mean, the book is a lot better <laughs> now than I think I could have written it when I was younger. Um, but the inspiration for it actually came from a, a what if uh, line of thought involving my sister because I have a sister who's significantly younger and we grew up in a rural area with like lots of hills and winding roads and at least when I was a teenager everybody drove all the time Mm -hmm. and 
looking back on it as an adult, I'm like, that was outlandishly dangerous. How did our parents bear to let us drive around in cars that did not have safety features like we have now? It just, it's mind boggling. But I, um, you know, I know several uh, from, you know, high school classmates who did not see their 21st birthday, who did not see their 18th birthday, um, mm-hmm. you know, because of car accidents. So it's a very present thing. And I just mm-hmm. went back to visit my dad recently. And it was the first time that I really thought about, like, what does it mean to grow up surrounded by, like, roadside memorials to people who have died very young? Um, mm-hmm. But my inspiration for writing this book in the first place was actually thinking about my sister and how, you know, I had a friend who died when we were 17 um, in a car accident. And it seemed very chancy to me that I was a good driver for a teenager. I was careful for a teenager, but even so, I mean, it's still a lot lot of it is fate and, you know, what would have happened if something had happened to me and like, how would my sister's growing up experience have been changed by that? And how would like she as a person be different if my absence had loomed so large um, mm. in our family? And yeah, but the the family does not resemble my family at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I can relate to what you're saying about these roadside memorials. Um, I, live in this I was born in this area I've always lived here and it's it's a rural slash sort of I mean the, they say that we're the biggest city and city I put in inverted quotes because we're not a city we're a big town outside of Adelaide um in my state of South Australia and a lot of kids like because there's not a lot to do so the kids go driving right um and yeah there's been a lot of accidents over the years it's particularly boys they seem to the boys get in the cars together and don't know if they get egg each other on to take risks or whatever, but yeah. Oh, I think if you get the more young boys you get in a group, it's the collective decision-making ability goes down. Mm. (laughs) It's yes. The boys are, are, I've warned my, he's nine and I've warned my son about this already. I said, look, if you're in a group and it's all young boys, just bad decisions can happen. Mm. Be (laughs) <laughs> be careful yeah but yeah, yeah no it's a lot of driving and it's not all sober driving mm-hmm. um yeah they yeah. i mean they say that kids aren't getting into as much old-fashioned trouble anymore um because <laughs> they're which, on the computers too much <laughs> on their phones yeah which is its own kind of risk factor um you know yeah but i remember growing up dad would always he was because my dad's from this area too he's from an even smaller town and he would like say, don't ever get in the car with anyone. Don't get in the car with boys. Like, cause I think he knew because <laughs> he'd done it himself, but yeah, there's a real yeah. picture of it, but you're right. I think, yeah, it's definitely, it's shifting because yeah, of this online world they're they're sitting at home playing Fortnite or something instead of being together, but I don't know, different, Yeah. but yeah, no, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah.
so you're talking about your son. You've just got the one child? Yeah, it's just just him. Yep. So he's nine now. Yep. Yeah. So you started the first draft before he was born and then you kept writing um, and made mm-hmm. those, you know, those additions. So how were you, when it came time to write, were you just like up all night or like early in the morning? Like how did you physically fit in your time to write? So I'm not so good at that. There are people who will get up at five o'clock in the morning. There's on Twitter, I think for a while, there was a 5 a.m. writers club hashtag that (laughs) a lot of, and a lot of them were parents who would get up and for the hour before their kids woke up, they would write. Um, And there, I have a author friend who is a real night owl and always up until, you know, midnight or whatever writing. And I just am not good at that at all. I'm like an after lunch writer. So (laughs) that definitely became very challenging when I, um, especially when he was much smaller. And now, I mean, he's, sometimes he wants to hang out with me, but like often not really. He has his own stuff he wants to do. Um, But, you know, yeah, like nap time. I would get a little bit in. And then at the time, my husband had a job where he was gone for like the whole day. (laughs) He would leave after breakfast and come home after I went to bed. But then he would like build up extra like comp hours at work and have to take some time off eventually. So uh, my dad's family has this little beach bungalow and... I would go and just hang out there for a few days and just, you know, write a lot and make a lot of progress. And then um, that makes it easier to do the like nap time segments. But yeah, I'm still that way. I'm still an after lunch writer. That's like when my brain does it best. Um, But it did like when he was smaller, it made it a little bit challenging and I don't know if there had been more than one of him, I might've had to, I might've had to learn how to write early or late if I wanted to get it done. Yeah. So were you, after he was born, like in those early stages, were you, were you able to write then? Like, did you find that that was important for you to still have something for yourself or was it just like not even on your radar? I was, I think even from the beginning, I was thinking, okay, when am I going to phase it back in? Mm -hmm. Um, before he was born, uh, so I quit my job like a couple months before he was born to finish the book that I was working on and, um, you know, get do things for myself because I knew that that was going to be more difficult. But I also mm-hmm. remember saying to someone, yeah, I'm thinking I'll take a couple weeks totally off and then, you know, I'll like get back, get, you know, back into it. Yeah. And now I tell people if they're expecting their first, I'm like, all right, so this is what I thought was going to happen. And it is so absurd. I feel embarrassed even saying it now. (laughs) Don't expect that of yourself at all. Like the first three months are like, just don't even, it's, it'll just be a black hole in your memory. And then (laughs) the first year actually is like really hard. And then it starts to get a little easier, but it's, so the first year was that was a tricky negotiation um cuz and I was I was 
kind of a like full-time parent, but I was still trying to like wedge the writing work in mm-hmm. and it sometimes was not um, successful. And it's just, as soon as, I guess it's when my son was two, um, he started going to preschool like two days a week and then three, mm-hmm. he went three days a week. And now he's in school five days a week and I can have a much more like adult schedule again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, but it was hard because I was home. I wasn't making money off of my writing, but I was still doing it. And so the mm-hmm. the really like full-time stay-at-home parents uh, in my circle would always have stuff going on like, oh, we're going to this story time today. You know, there'd be something on the agenda every single day. And I just really could not manage that because I wouldn't have had any time to like do work on my stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so I I kind of felt bad a little bit and, you know, caught between two worlds because I wasn't like, I didn't fit in with the working parents and I did not fit in necessarily with the like full-time stay-at-home parents. Mm. Um, yeah, and I probably still don't, but that's all right. <laughs> you're <laughs> now it's with all a right, whole different but... grief of parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. the at the time when he was in the first and second years of his life, it it was kind of a weird landscape because yeah. It, I yeah I felt kind of alone in that no man's land (laughs) of, you know, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't beholden to clients or an employer, but I was still trying to like keep momentum on my own projects because I felt like I needed to do them. Um, And, you know, so I could, I just like, no, I can't, I can't go to a different story time every day. (laughs) (laughs) I can't just drop everything and go to the aquarium. Um, And I don't even know if my kid would have wanted that, but. (laughs) You're listening to The Art of Being a Mom with my mom, Alison Newman. You mentioned there about the writing uh, and at that point not making money from it. Was that something Mm -hmm. that sort of was a bit of an internal conflict for you at that stage? Yeah, I I definitely grew up with and still kind of have to do battle with in my head the idea that if – if you're going to demand time and space for something that you're doing, like the, the money kind of legitimizes it. Um, and you know, my book has been pretty successful and I've tried to be careful with the way I think about that because it's like, well, no, but it's not, it's not worthwhile because it, it, made me a certain level of income. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's worthwhile because it it had an impact on people's lives and it's important and I thought it was necessary for me personally to do. Mm. Um but it's yeah, it has been challenging and I think it's over the years too, I think my husband and I have 
under like had much more of an understanding than we had at the beginning about um why it is important for me to do my work um mm-hmm. and and i've also it, tried not to put pressure on myself to like make money with it because that's when i start get tempted to oh maybe i should like get some f- extra like freelance work or this that and like pad my income a little bit but that's taking time away from the sort of career projects that I should be working on. And there's no reason that I need to be making like X number of dollars every month. It it just is not even before, before kids, my husband, like I was complaining about my job and he said, you know, you don't have to work. Like we could survive if you didn't work. So if you want to just like if the job is bothering you that much, like just just quit and like work on your writing and and do that mm-hmm. and and see where that takes you. And I was like, no, I need to have a job. What are you talking about? <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, oh, why? Like I was being underpaid at that job <laughs> and I should have just quit and like pursued my writing earlier. Um, I didn't feel like I had, the, I didn't feel like I had the freedom to do that until I became a parent. And that was kind of my reason, like, oh, well, I don't have to have a job because, you know, economically it makes sense for me not to have a job while, you know, the baby is small. And then I can like also work on my writing that I wanted to do. And, mm. um, oh, but if I would have done it sooner, <laughs> It's like <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah, no, it is, it's tricky. And um, it's, yeah, we don't live a lavish lifestyle. So I have as, I I have a lot of leeway um, with my work and I, I don't have a huge amount of pressure to hit like an income target. And so, you know, whatever I can pay myself is, is good, but um I think the pressure is like all from me. <laughs> yeah. It's not from, yeah. yeah. So I feel like that um, with my music, because I don't get, earn very much at all from my music and it costs me a lot to make. <laughs> it's something that I really, really love doing and I wouldn't be able to not do it. <laughs> so it's like this, uh, I don't know. My husband's a financial advisor, so it makes life a bit tricky sometimes. He reminds me of the money <laughs> side of things. <laughs> What's ironically, I'm I've been our home's like financial manager for as long as we've been a household because my husband yeah. has no he has no interest in any of that. And yeah. so he just, you know <laughs> it's it's funny. And but I'm like, well, you know, I'm earning my keep by just Ma- ma- like making sure the money goes where it's supposed to when it comes in. <laughs> but it's yeah it is uh it's not always practical but i i was just reading this book called fair play um by eve rodsky and i got to this chapter that was i think the title of the chapter was reclaim your right to be interesting and it was all about how you know when women become mothers they often just allow that to like subsume their whole identity and whoever is expecting us to do that 
no one is happy with the results when we are not doing the things anymore that like make us interesting to ourselves, let alone anyone else. And that she had asked all these men, um, you know, can you say, can you name something, a way that you are proud of your wife? And a lot of them would say, well, she's a wonderful mother or like, yeah, I don't know what we would do without her. She keeps everything together. And she said, no, no, no. But something about her that Mm. you are proud of external to what she's doing for you. And then so many of them had nothing. Mm. They couldn't name anything that they were proud of their partner for that didn't revolve around domestic responsibilities. And I was just like, oh, that's that's so sad. And I realized, yeah. you know, it hasn't always, we haven't always been in complete agreement about how each of our time should be divvied up here. Mm. But I know, you know, my husband says all the all the time, he's like, you know, oh, I'm so proud of you. Like you're doing these like really impressive things. And, you know, I feel like I'm what am I to I'm just going and like <laughs> writing <laughs> I said, no, that's cool too. But you know, that, that it's, I didn't mean to do, do it for that reason. Mm -hmm. But I, I, as I read that chapter, I was like, oh, that's what we did though, is that we made room for me to keep doing my creative work. But that's the thing that sort of makes me who I am and makes my, my life interesting. And, Mm. you know, if I'm not, if I'm not doing it, I'm not really showing up as an ideal person to live with. (laughs) So (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I don't think of it as like taking resources away from your family because you need to invest some resources in your own, you know, intellectual sustenance or else it's just you're not going to be showing up as the person that you want to be eventually Mm. yeah I couldn't agree with that more that's that's that has put it so well I'm taking that quote and you're gonna hear that quote in your introduction (laughs) (laughs) because that is spot on yeah absolutely with your son I mean he's nine so he you know he'd be aware of of what mum does do you feel like that's important that he sees you as more than just I don't want to say just mum because we're never just mum but you know what I mean yeah no that's very important to me and even before he was born I I wrote down somewhere I would say I want him I want him to see me as you know a parent who does who like achieves things um and who wants things for themselves and and who does something and i uh i 
yeah. And I, even when he was very small and I was doing less of my own work, I started to realize how important to me it was for, for him to see that, um, Mm -hmm. and not just see me like keeping the house and my husband going out and doing things and, and having an, an interesting job that he went to. Um, and then I don't know, I, um, what I was a child of two working parents and I just remember seeing my mom work so hard and she still does like where she's like one of the hardest working people I know. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she would dabble in things, um, you know, crafts and stuff that she did just for herself. Um, but I remember as a kid, you know, wishing that she had like, there was more space for her to, do things like that or what even when I was a kid I was no kid ever asked this like mom what did you actually want to do (laughs) before you had a child or you know if you could have had any career because she I mean she worked at the store and you know did I think that her dream in life was to like work at the store um you know, it's what she ended up doing. And like, we all have something we end up doing. Like I didn't become like a famous musician as I planned either. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's interesting, even as a kid, and especially after my sister was born, and she was working like an overnight shift, and she would come home and like, take a little, like, hour nap, and then take my sister to preschool and like, go back to work. And even as a selfish teenager, I was like, how is she doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, how does she, how is this like survivable for her? Like, And I mean, I think Mountain Dew was the answer <laughs> when I asked her, she's like, I drank a lot of Mountain Dew. Um, but I just, I wanted, because I had the privilege to do so. And I was aware even as a young person that my own mother did not have as much privilege as I have to pursue something that like I alone could not live off of Mm. (laughs) my, like my contributions to our household are not like paying the mortgage and buying the groceries. Um, but I, yeah, I like, I wanted my son to see that, I have, you know, an identity and aspirations and things that I am doing um, because I think it's a lot also to put on a child if they are like everything you have going on. I It's just, it, it just feels like maybe that's a, maybe that's a, like a heavy thing. Mm. <laughs> uh, like if, if I am the thing that my parent is like living through, um, you know, what does that, what expectations does that put on me and like how I enjoy and experience my life? And, mm. yeah. um, you know, as opposed to if we are two humans who are very much enmeshed in each other, in each other's existence, um, 
but also like it's yeah when i when i was younger i had some relationships where i just did not realize that you should always have something else going on <laughs> Mm-hmm. for your own like mental stability like you shouldn't put all of your eggs in one relational basket um mm-hmm. you know because stuff falls apart and um you know it's if your kid is having a hard time and that's a hard time for you like having something to turn to mm. um that's it isn't it yeah yeah so that if if I'm having a, a big parenting struggle, um, you know, hopefully I'm not also having a big writing struggle, but even if I am, it's the way out of those struggles is very different. And the amount of control I have over <laughs> the resolution of those struggles is very different. So yeah. it's definitely a little bit of a balancing thing. Yeah. I, I think even, yeah, even before kids are involved or even if they're not involved, I think it's so important for, for couples to have something that that isn't each other, <laughs> have something they can go and do by themselves because we all need space, you know. We all have to, oh yeah, have to have time alone and do things we enjoy and reset, spend time with other people, and then we can come back fresh and you know, give each other time to miss each other. You know, we're not in each other's pockets all day long. <laughs> oh, we are. Well, especially uh. now that I mean, we've been both working from home since 2020. So yeah, it's right. like, if you don't have something else going on, I feel like that's a, pro- that's a problem. But <laughs> yeah, my mom always told me that when I was, is I was as a child, very, you know, I'd get very attached to like one best friend. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, when I was in high school, I had, you know, boyfriend. And so then like, I focused all my energy on that. And Mm-hmm. And my mom always told me, she's like, yeah, this is, you, you never know what's going to happen and you should never like just have one person because mm-hmm. what if you get into a fight, then you're just alone, you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, but it's, it's very true that it's, yeah. Like even without kids, um, mm-hmm. it's too, it's too much on one person to make you know this relationship like the thing I have going on um Mm, yeah it's yeah the ability to like leave and come back and you know my I guess my parents set an example of that for me because they like their extracurricular activities outside the house were I'm trying to think if any of them were like things they did together I'm not Mm. sure they were yeah yeah that you know my mom had stuff that she did she like did bowling and you know my dad would go on golf trips with his friends but yeah it's you know they Mm. didn't they didn't feel like oh well i have to include you in this so yeah yeah no that's awesome that it's, it's very important We call it mum guilt, mom guilt, mummy guilt, whatever mm-hmm. term you want to call it. How do you feel about that? Do you do you resonate with that at all or is it something you don't even, not even on your radar? 
Oh, it's definitely on the radar. Um, yeah. So when my son was very small, he did not really get upset when I would leave to go, you know, if I went to the beach for three, four days to, to write, mm-hmm. he was fine. Um, and I, I'm trying to think when it was, it, it's like the, just the past maybe two years, I feel like he's become much more attached to me mm-hmm. um, and started to develop a very different relationship with his dad than he has with me, which makes sense because like we're very different people um, that he gets very different things from, mm-hmm. but he, it also means that he like actively like vocally misses me when I go away yeah. And he'll send me messages from his iPod that's like, I miss you so much with like the crying face emoji and like, <laughs> and he'll, you know, he'll be really sad. And um, I feel like I feel, you know, it's hard because mm. then even before when he wouldn't get that sad, even the, you know, right before it was like the day that I was leaving. I would always feel guilty. Like, is this like, should I really be doing this? Um, you know, is it really worth all this to like leave my kid behind? And um now, you know, now that he's older, it's like, oh, I'll miss you so much. And it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also it plays into that guilt of like ah, is this like really okay for, and it, logically I'm like, of course it is mm-hmm. because he needs to learn how to, this is like a, a, a human experience is like people go away and we miss them and they come back and we're happy to see them. And yeah. that's a very normal and healthy part of existence. And someone should have told me that and said, please like, don't miss out on the opportunity to study abroad in college just because you don't want to like, miss someone that you're dating like (laughs) that's that's not acceptable but (laughs) um you know so of course I know that it's like a developmental thing that's good you you know for him to learn that I will leave and then also come back and that is fine that is okay and we can all survive um but yeah it is especially if he's like going through a tough time where, you know, maybe he's been like arguing with his dad or like he, you know, got in trouble in school or something and he's feeling extra like needy of the like emotional, like sit around and talk support that he comes to me for, mm. you know, then I feel extra because I'm like, oh, this is a terrible time to be leaving him. Like, why am I leaving him now? Um but yeah, it's, so it's hard. And then when I, at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of this year, I worked a lot to do developmental editing on this book that's coming out in the spring. And I didn't pay attention to my own social life or my family or anything. It was, it was a dark, it was a dark time. Um, 
But he like basically organized his own birthday party and like set everything up outside. And I felt a little bad because I was like, oh, no, you know, I didn't even like I didn't even get it together to help my child like arrange his birthday party. He's like <laughs> carrying the folding chairs outside. Um yeah, so it definitely, I definitely feel it. And even though he like thinks it's very cool that I'm an author, I think he thinks that all authors are like famous and make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> he's like, I want to be a writer when I grow up too. And I was like, well, if you're doing it for the money, I'm, I'll tell you right now, <laughs> that's, that's not the way. Um oh, but yeah, so like he thinks it's very, very cool. Um, yeah. but I still do like, especially when I go away. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, if I travel to like, I do a writing retreat with a friend every year, or even if I just go for a couple days to the beach to, to catch up. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, it's like right before I leave is when it's the worst. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just have that like, avalanche of self-doubt that's like oh, but like i should be here for him and you know always sad and um but and then do you tell yourself that's not true <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just try to tell myself you know, you know it's and of course my husband's like he'll be fine it's yeah. fine like He'll like when you leave, then he'll just like you're gone. So it's not like you're leaving; it's you're already gone. And then he just will find others. He'll find stuff to do, and he'll be fine. It's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> Usually he does, but yeah. Oh yeah. What sort of music are you doing? So my, when I was a kid, I was involved in a lot of community groups. My favorite was pit orchestras for mm -hmm. musicals, um, operas and stuff. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and I did some chamber music, which was also fun. Um, and I planned to go to school for it until I didn't. And then yeah. <laughs> was that um, violin or cello what were you playing so I started on the violin then I I picked up the flute in fourth grade and that was where I had the most aptitude um it's hard to find a place for yourself as a flute player sometimes so I played violin in some groups that were looking to fill in you know, a big violin section and if I actually had to be really good <laughs> that's when I got the the flute I you know, if an orchestra or band or something needed someone um, to fill in for a concert, I would just like kind of drop in for the dress rehearsal and play the concert the next day and have a good time. <laughs> I, I could do that on the flute. I could not do that on any other instrument for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, but it was, it was a ton of fun. I miss it a lot um, doing yeah. that stuff, but. Yeah. Do you play it all now just for fun? I haven't in a while because it's a 
the flute is really a group instrument as far as I'm concerned. And when I moved down here, I did not have a group. I didn't, and I wasn't plugged into all the music community people. Um, I no longer had a community where people would just kind of call me and say that they needed someone. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know quite how to find that. I'm not the most outgoing person anyone has ever met. So I, I kind of fell out of it and then I got a little rusty and I got sad about that. And so now I sort of dabble with the piano and the guitar because they're solitary mm -hmm. more so, or they can be. Um, but I would love to get back into it. I'm actually looking to scale back some of my other volunteer responsibilities so that I can go back to that again, because it was something that was very nourishing to me at one point in my life. And mm. it feels wasteful. It feels wasteful to have a, a like an outsize ability with something and then just to not do anything with it. And I know that's not always the best way to think about stuff, but it, you know, it's in the back of my head sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, that was the thing. That was the thing you were really good at and you just <laughs> didn't do it anymore. Why not? Um, well, there but, you go. You yeah. never know. <laughs> yeah, you never do know. And I, I did, you know, post something online in the spring just to see if anybody had suggestions. And I got a whole list. And mm. so I figure when I'm feeling bold and brave and I've, you know, quit a couple of other things <laughs> that I, I need to pass on. So you said your book's coming out in spring. So what month mm -hmm. what month is that? So it's April 25th is, oh, the, cool. is the launch date. Yep. April 25th. That's yeah, the so exact date over here. We have that's like our, you know how you have like Veterans Day or something like that? What do you have? Not Memorial Day. What's your well, so Memorial Day is in May. Yeah. And so then Veterans like... Day is in November. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, ours is that our Anzac Day is kind of a version of that. We remember the people that went to war in the First World War. So, yeah, 25th, there you go. I won't forget that date. <laughs> That's an important date. Um, yeah. So whereabouts will people be able to get your book from when it comes out? Um, well, so it's actually um, I'm just about to launch into the shameless self-promotion phase of things. <laughs> um, and that's going to be really hitting in January. Um, that's the most uncomfortable part, I think, of being an introverted artist of any kind. Um, <laughs> but it is actually available for pre-order now. Um, yeah, so it's on Amazon and um, there's, uh, or if you go on IndieBound, uh, you can get it. I always tell people to get it from the independent bookstore. Um, mm -hmm. I know some people buy it on Amazon anyway, but the the local bookstore is where it's at. Um, but and it'll be, yeah, it'll it should be available in ebook too, like Apple Books and and King and Kindle. Um, but yeah, I can I can give a link that has all of that in there. Um, mm, but that would be great. Yeah, even yeah. though it's the the really like heavy duty promotion is is still uh, 
you know, a few weeks, maybe a month away, the, the pre-order links are up and, and active. Fantastic. So, so um, I hesitate to ask then, is there another book in your, in your future? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, there is, there's more than one actually. And um, that's been my big struggle um, this year is getting, you know, this one is done. <laughs> And I now have two or three books that are waiting to be, you know, drafted and 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 finished. Mm-hmm. And I don't have anything in between. Um, and it's like having children with a huge age gap <laughs> between them. It's um, it's a little disorienting, and you know, it's because twenty twenty everything shut down, and we had a year and a half, I think of virtual school, um, you know, for which I was the, the point person. Yeah. So I really like the deep, dark days of the pandemic and virtual school time. I did not do intensive like writing projects at all. Mm -hmm. And because it just was not, it wasn't possible. Um, yeah. I, I know it was for some people. It was it was not for me. Um, and I did, you know, my little podcast for my Patreon people and I did blog posts. But, you know, I books were not getting written during like virtual school and trying to figure out how to get like canola oil and toilet paper. It just... <laughs> The, in terms of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, <laughs> yeah. we were really stuck at the base for a long time. Um, oh, yeah, but now this year, I, I've come out of that. I've had a lot more time to work, and it's. But it is very difficult to come to terms with the work that didn't happen during that time, mm-hmm. um, because the, that work that didn't happen means that I don't have books that are well into the editing phase now that I've, I'm like, oh, I have to, you know, really kick it into high gear and, and draft up these books and, and get them, you know, somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but it, it, it was a little demoralizing for a moment and it, it still is sometimes, um, just, just how much time I lost. Um, and Mm. I'm sure many, many, parents in my similar situation have that Mm, yeah it's like your your thing had to just completely stop so that your children's things could happen (laughs) yeah Yeah. and just that we were all all of us here all the time Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah so the books you've got your in your head that are going to happen are they fiction or non-fiction ones so I have my next novel pretty well planned out. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of of drafting it. Um, I, I've never had quite so much a plan before. I mean, it's a very loose plan because I don't, I'm not a heavy outliner or planner for fiction. Um, and nonfiction, I have like an essay collection that I've been working on that's, yeah. My my next two nonfiction books are, are going to be much less prescriptive than than the first and much more like personal experience writing like memoir style. Um because that's 
a lot of people seem to have connected with my writing mm-hmm. to feel seen. Um, yeah. And to have an experience similar to their own, like articulated in a certain way. And, and so I'm excited to really like lean into that. Um, yeah. It sounds good. It'd be very valuable. You know, people feel, feel like what they're going through is legitimate, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, you, you talked about that community that you've sort of built around your first book. Yeah, it's yeah. extremely important. A people. lot of people have written and said, you know, thank you for putting this out there. And I thought that I was the only one who had this experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's reassuring to know that it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, good on you. Because it can be quite daunting to sort of share like that, to to put it all out there and. Did you have moments like that when you're writing the book? You're thinking, oh, do I, how much of this do I want to share, I suppose? Or were you just passionate about getting it all out there? So as a nonfiction writer, I I don't have a whole lot of a filter. Um, I mm-hmm. Although I will say some of my most successful writing has been the stuff I was most afraid to put out there. Yeah. Um, so that probably says something. Um, mm. I, I actually feel a lot more anxious about putting my not my fiction out into the world, which is an interesting thing. And I think it's just because I know not everyone's going to like me. Um, and so as a nonfiction writer, you know, if people don't, this is who I am. And if it doesn't resonate with people or they they don't like they don't like me or my take on the world, then it's in some ways easier for me to just be like, okay, like really I've, I've never been for everyone. Um, and I don't need to be the likable character in your story either. So that's okay. A lot of people are responding to it. Um, yeah, but fiction and, and something that's entirely your own creation, it's, Mm -hmm. it does feel very different because it's, yeah, it's something that I created specifically to resonate with the most people possible. But even so, I, if you've ever been in a book club, it, it no book is for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like that, like with art in general. Like, I mean, I love, I love and respect every artist that I meet because of what they're doing, just because they're doing the thing that they love and they, they're getting it out there. But I don't necessarily resonate with every kind of art, you know, and, I, and same with music, yeah. you know. And I think that's fine. That's what makes us human and different. We're all different and that's fine. And that, that's, yeah, that's completely normal. <laughs> yeah, and it's resonating with someone. It's just, Yeah, that's it, isn't you know, it? It's, yeah. And, but it, it is interesting because I, it occurred to me at some point this year, I said, I'm a lot more nervous about this book launch earlier on than I was with the last one. The last one was like on launch day, I kind of had a little bit of a panic. (laughs) Just like, what if this is actually terrible and no one told me, Um, (laughs) but you know, it, which this book is not self-published so it's i mean i i've had like a whole team behind it it's not terrible and no one said anything yeah (laughs) it's still like i know because i just know people you know people are gonna get on goodreads and write some scathing criticism um 
Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's going to happen. That's why they tell you don't read your, mm-hmm. don't read your own reviews. Yeah. It's better not to know. You just got to be proud yeah. of what you've done. And and if people message and say how much they loved it, that's what you hold on to. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a whole folder of those. Like I never oh, get wonderful. rid of those, yes. those reader emails. I just drag them all into the, into the little folder. I'm like, all right, yeah. whenever I need this, I can just. Yes, that is awesome. Yeah, good on you. Oh, thank you so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been a pleasure to meet you. All the best with your, with the release that's coming out in April and with your future work. And I'll definitely share anything I see because I just think what you're doing is awesome. And, yeah, thanks again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, this was nice. I, I appreciate it. The music you heard featured on today's episode was from Alemjo, which is my new age ambient music trio comprised of myself, my sister Emma Anderson and her husband John. If you'd like to hear more, you can find a link to us in the show notes. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us by the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.